You feel like you're taking the right actions in your career, but you're not seeing results. And maybe it's starting to feel like you're wasting your time. On this episode, how to win the long game when the short term seems bleak. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 550. Produced by Innovate Learning. Maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show helps you discover leadership wisdom through insightful conversations. I know so many of us in this community have the heart and the intention for the long game. How do we move past just what's going on today or this quarter and maybe even this year and really make the decisions not only for ourselves but for others that are going to support long-term sustainability and help the world be a better place? And that all sounds great in practice, but boy, it's hard to do on a daily basis when the short term sometimes seems bleak. Today, I'm so glad to welcome back to the show a guest who's going to help us to really frame our expectations and also how do we approach a situation when we know we're on a good path for the long term, at least we think we are, but the short term is looking a little challenging. I'm so pleased to welcome back Dory Clark to the show. She has been named one of the top 50 business thinkers in the world by Thinkers 50 and was recognized as the number one communication coach in the world by the Marshall Goldsmith Leading Global Coaches Awards. She is a consultant and keynote speaker and teaches executive education at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business and Columbia Business School. Dory is the author of the best-selling books, Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of the year by Inc. Magazine. She has been described by the New York Times as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. She is a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review and is now the author of her latest book, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. Dory, every time I see your byline on Harvard Business Review, I always smile because I know it's going to be a great article. Thank you so much for coming back. What a pleasure to have you. Hey, Dave, it's great to talk with you again. You know, thinking about the long game, um, you know, we all want to really have that long term perspective. And yet it's hard when the short term doesn't always look so good. And as I was thinking about your book and your expertise and what you do today, I found it interesting that you actually were planning an entirely different career coming out of school and life had other plans, didn't it? I was planning all kinds of other careers. Oh, my goodness. I am a failed doctoral student. Uh, I didn't get into any of the doctoral uh, programs that I applied to. I got laid off from my job as a journalist. Uh, I worked in campaigns and all my candidates lost. So there were there were a lot of roads not taken, or perhaps more precisely, roads I attempted to take where where I was just completely foiled and needed to come up with something else. We all espouse a desire for the long game, as I mentioned in the introduction. Um, but it's in practice, it's super hard because we live in a world that tends to look at things from the lens of today, this week, this quarter, hitting the numbers. Uh, and I think one thing that really strikes me as helpful from your work and your perspective is thinking about timeframes and just setting our expectations. And one of the timeframes that comes up in the book a lot 
is this time frame of two to three years. I'm wondering if you could tell me a bit about what's significant about two to three years when you're starting to think about the long game. Well, for two to three years, the the reason this was not something that I was specifically aware of or had a hypothesis about going into it, but something that I perceived initially in the early days of my own business, uh, which I started in 2006, was that it actually seemed to take two to three years for me to start to see results in terms of the branding efforts that I was doing and the work that I was doing within my field to try to become recognized for some of my expertise. And at first I thought, well, okay, you know, that was the case for me, but that's not necessarily illustrative beyond that. But about five years ago, I began running an online course in community called Recognized Expert, which is for professionals that want to build their platform, get known for their ideas, sort of have a bigger impact. And over the past half decade now, 600 people plus have been through it. And so I've had a lot of exposure and a lot of experience working with them, working with my private coaching clients, and actually seeing from a broad spectrum of people, the patterns that are involved in this question of how do you become known for your expertise? How do you become known in your company? How do you become known in your field? And what I saw and what has become really clear to me is that in general, I mean, you know, everyone's different, of course, and things can happen faster sometimes, but in general, it takes about two to three years to begin to see some results from the work that you're doing in terms of getting your ideas out there. And I would say in general, it takes about five years to be able to see a demonstrable difference and a demonstrable impact. And part of why I was really motivated to write the long game is that frankly, if you do something for two or three years and up to that point, you're not really seeing many results at all, it is natural, it's understandable that a lot of people quit and a lot of people give up. And I believe they're giving up too soon. And so I wanted to write a book that really created a framework to try to help contextualize that process for people and hopefully keep them encouraged and motivated so that they can persist in getting their ideas out there and actually get to the other side of the riverbank so that they can accomplish what they want and make the difference they want. I'm thinking about my own journey in my career, and I'm also thinking about all the folks I've worked with too. And that two to three year time frame really seems so true in so many of those examples. And when you're at that year and a half, two year point, it's really hard to pick up the next day's work and to keep going when you feel like you're on the right path in the long run. For the person who is at that place where maybe they're six months in, a year in, a year and a half in, what helps to keep the big picture perspective and to keep going in the midst of not seeing very much feedback? Yeah, it's it's an important question, Dave, because in in some ways it it just feels like you have to take it on faith. You know, you're you're keeping going and everything feels like, okay, why why am I doing this? I'm a rational person. I'm not seeing results. But it's very much like the faith of you know, a, a farmer planting seeds, right? It takes a while, but you know from observation, you know from talking to experts, you know from the people around you, okay, it's going to be a seed underground for a while, but 
if we keep doing the right things, the process will turn out. And I think it's very similar for us in the journey toward developing and being recognized for the kind of expertise that we want. So I would say there's a few things, probably first and foremost, at the outset of the process, and this is something that I feel like a lot of people don't do, and it's it's to our detriment, is I am a big believer in making sure that as early on in the process as we can manage, that we actually scope out what it really is likely to take in order to accomplish our goals. For a stunning number of people, we will make a goal, we'll even start pursuing a goal in earnest without really understanding what it looks like or what the commitment is that we're signing up for. And just as one example that I cite in the long game, I love this story. In 2018, Jeff Bezos had a letter to Amazon shareholders, and he tells a story in it about a friend of his that hired a handstand coach for yoga. Hmm. And the handstand coach said that the average person, if you sort of ask them to guesstimate, they will say it probably takes about two weeks of practice to be able to successfully do a yoga handstand. And the truth is it takes six months of daily practice to be able to do it. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's intense, man. I mean, I certainly can't do it. So I I think most of us would get it that like, oh, well, you know, if you make an estimate, it's probably not completely accurate. It might be off by a little bit. Maybe it's off by 20%, maybe, maybe even 30%. But literally, this is a case where the estimate of what it actually takes to accomplish something is off by a factor of 12, by 12x. You know, it's two weeks versus 24 weeks. And I think so often we are operating with blind spots like that. We don't necessarily know. Like we know that, you know, well, success isn't overnight. You know, we know that. But like, okay, what's what's not overnight? Is it a month? Is it a year? Is it 10 years? Many people don't know. And so it's easy to get discouraged when the reality doesn't match, you know, whatever super random number is in your head. So the first step, like with handstands, is to actually do some research, you know, talk to people or even, you know, if you don't know them personally, do some investigating online and try to understand for people who have already accomplished whatever your goal is, what did it take for them? It's not to say that your journey is going to be exactly the same. Uh, it might be, it might be different in some way, but you know, broadly speaking, if if you know X goal takes everybody else 10 years, it's probably not going to take you two years. And so understanding what the ballpark is of what you're signing up for is really helpful in terms of being able to pace yourself and to maintain your momentum. You have done this successfully so many times in your career over the last 10 years. I've been watching your work and just seeing you continually reinvent yourself in amazing ways. What's helped you keep the faith at those times that the results didn't seem to be there, even when you knew kind of like, okay, I know this is going to take about three years, but on those days that it wasn't there, what helps? Yeah, it, it, it can be a lonely journey sometimes. That is for sure. I think part of it is to the extent possible, really focusing on the, what I'll call the interim benefits of the steps that you're taking. And so you were mentioning earlier, Dave, that, and thank you, uh, that you enjoyed my articles writing for HBR for the Harvard Business Review. And this is something I have done now for, I'm I'm in my 11th year of writing for them. Wow, congratulations. 200 articles. Um, Thanks. And 
you know, it's, I think sometimes the, the idea we have in our heads, again, because we haven't really thought about it or we haven't really questioned it is like, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to write an article and then I'm going to get a client reaching out to me and, you know, get the million dollar contract or whatever, whatever the sort of magical narrative is. And the truth is sometimes that actually does happen. There's a, a guy that I profile in my book, a client of mine named Ron Carucci. And I, in the long game, I talk about his journey and interview him about his process because he had a lot of ups and downs in, in terms of building his brand and his platform and getting his ideas out there. And literally in his case, he actually did write an article for Harvard Business Review uh, on their website. A potential client reached out to him he secured a gig with them and he has now parlayed it into a multi-million dollar contract. I mean, wow. it's amazing. And that stuff really can happen. But the, the problem is that most of the time it doesn't. Yeah. Most of the time you're doing the thing and you just have to keep doing the thing. And so, you know, it would be great if every single one of my 200 articles had million dollar contracts attached to them. I can assure you that is not the case. But Part of it is understanding and believing that there is power in accretion and in compounding, right? Like it's a, it's a simple concept to understand when it comes to personal finance. Like we, we all know, you know, we've all read the statistics. We can all believe it, that it makes a dramatically bigger difference if you start investing when you're 30 compared to investing when you're 50, right? Because it gives your money time to compound. And then, you know, that, that compounded money compounds further. And so you're, you're way better off at the end. Doing something small early pays off. And we get it when it comes to money. But for so many of us, we don't necessarily get it when it comes to our careers, that it's not that we have to bend over backwards and spend huge amounts of time doing something. None of us have huge amounts of time, but it's about being consistent and taking small, consistent actions so that we can actually accomplish what we want. And so in my case, doing the thing, you know, writing the articles, it would be nice if every single one paid off in a huge way. But really, it's just a kind of fundamental belief that you can control what you can control. And that is the process. And it's not that you've let go of the result. That's like way too Buddhist for most of us. <laughs> you know, if you're <laughs> if you're this hard charging business person, it's really hard to be like, oh, just let go. But ultimately, I do think that there's power in recognizing, look, you know, some things are gonna catch and some things are not, and we can't predict what they are. We don't know what they are. But if we just keep doing the work, if we keep doing the thing that we know is the right thing to be doing then you know we're it's it's like it's going back to little league or whatever it's like you know what you you hustle for the ball and if you get it amazing and if you don't you at least know you tried as hard as you could you are doing the right things and that's all you can ask for yourself at the end of the day yeah and it it's just i thinking about what you just said and it's it, part of this is just changing our mindset right because i think one of the I, one of the things i ran into and i hear a lot of people struggle with this is they're they're so worried, and I was so worried at times in my career. I'm wasting my time that I'm two years into this or three years into this, and maybe I've seen a few results, but I but I'm sort of wasting my time, or at least it felt that way. And one of the things that you warn us about in the book is people sometimes revisit their strategy too often, right? Like they go 
a few weeks into something or a month or two, and all of a sudden they're changing the strategy. And I think the opposite also is is true, too, of like, how do we know when we maybe should set something aside or stop? And one of the questions I really love that you invite us to consider in thinking about that is the, why am I doing this? Tell me about what's so significant about that question. Well, ultimately, when it comes to figuring out what we should be spending our time on, it's true. I mean, you know, no nobody wants to be the sucker that's <laughs> like throwing away his time on some fruitless effort that everybody else for years has been like, oh man, when's Dave gonna give that up? Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. like that's that's the paranoia that's like playing in the back of our minds. But ultimately, there are some activities that we can do that we just have to say, look, you know. If if it like takes off, if it goes viral, if it goes big, of course, of course that will be great. Of course that will be valuable. But is it also valuable in the doing? Is the process valuable? And you know, just as one example that I share in the long game, I talk about a friend of mine named Alyssa Cohn, and Alyssa did something kind of wild. She's an executive coach, and she was a big fan of Hamilton, like a lot of people are. And so she got she got really into Lin Manuel Miranda, and he has this initiative that he did. It's, it was actually a show that was on Broadway, but they created a, a kind of community training program, and it's called Freestyle Love Supreme. And they have these classes that you can register for, and it's beatbox improv rap. Awesome, and you know, like yeah, super cool. And you know, meanwhile, Alyssa's like, okay, that sounds cool. I'll do it. And so she actually takes this class in person. This is pre-COVID. So she signs up for this class. She takes it. She walks in and she immediately, we've probably all been there, right? She immediately knows, oh no, I'm in the wrong place because it's basically her who's this, you know, executive coach. And it's a bunch of like 20 year old guys in hoodies who are all like pretty much professional rappers. <laughs> and she's like, oh, this is not going to go well. And so the after the first class, she emails the instructor and she's like, I think I'm in the wrong place. I think I should drop out. This, you know, this isn't going to be right. And what the instructor said to her, which she said she found so powerful was, look, we're not trying to train you to become a rapper. What we're trying to do is help you unlock your creativity. Ah. Uh. And she thought about it and she's like, oh, actually, that is what I want. That actually is why I signed up for this course. I do want to be more like that. And so she went through the whole course, even though she was nervous, even though she was uncomfortable, even though indeed she was a less good rapper than all of the, you know, the 20 year old guys who were, you know, rapping their, their whole teenage life. And she, you know, she did a public performance even, but she said that it, at the end of the day, she just thought about, well, who do you want to become? And is it worth it to do this to become more of that kind of person? And I, I think that's often how we have to reorient our thinking. I hear two really clear invitations from what you've said already in this conversation. One of them is to really think generally about timeline of the two to three years of looking for seeing some of those initial results. The other piece that's perhaps just as significant, if not more so, is what do I get from this? Even if nothing happens externally, what does this do for me? 
what's the bigger picture behind why I'm doing it? And that way, when sometimes it doesn't work, right? I still got something that was really valuable that helped me grow as a person, as a professional. And it seems to me that changing that mindset and setting our own expectations there is so helpful at being able to keep going on the days when the results don't come in. I think that's really right, Dave. And it it reminds me of another story that I share in the long game about my friend, Jonathan Brill, who's a kind of futurist and innovation expert. And he has a phrase that he uses that I really like and think is kind of apt here, which is, he says, how can you win even if you lose? And Mm. I think that's a really good question for us to ask. And in his case, he was really interested in learning about food and food policy and specifically innovation in that area. And so he volunteered a few years ago to uh, take a leading role with the World's Fair, which was being held that year in Milan and had a focus on food. And he figured, you know, at a minimum, this is always a good question to ask, like, what, what would you get out of it at a minimum? And he s- said, okay, well, at a minimum, I am going to learn a lot more about the food industry and the food ecosystem. I'm going to make connections with people and build up my expertise in this area. And so, you know, he recognized that in volunteering to do this, it was kind of high risk. I mean, he might feel like he wasted time. Maybe it wouldn't turn into business leads or whatever. He hoped it would, but he realized that even if he only accomplished the minimum of just building his knowledge and building his network, he would consider that sufficient. He would consider that a win. Now, as it happened, he did manage to land a really big consulting contract as a result of the connections he made there. But it's always saying, well, would I, if, if the minimum happens, would I still be happy with it? And if that's the case, then it's a good bet you should probably do it. Yeah. And then it keeps the, um, the motivation is also then intrinsic instead of just, I'm waiting for the rest of the world, my colleagues, my peers, the industry association to affirm what I've done, which when that happens, great, right? To your point. Totally. But it keeps me going at the times when maybe I might stop otherwise because I have an an intrinsic reason to do this. You know, I'm I'm thinking still about the handstand, Coach. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hard to get that out of your head. It is. It is. Um, And how, how wrong so many of us are about how long something tends to take to get mediocre at or good at. And I'm I'm wondering as you've and you have by the way dabbled in some things people may not know about like the arts and music and and you've had some good success in doing that in your career too, but things that you traditionally did not get training on you were not in those industries. How have you found it to work to get a little bit better at estimating? what that time frame is. So maybe you're off by a factor of one and a half instead of off by a factor of 12. Yeah, this is this is really important. I remember, you know, just talking to my mom and she had this uh this guy, she was re- doing a lot of renovations in her house and she had this carpenter that she worked with and he was a great carpenter. Like his work was fantastic and, you know, always really high quality. But she felt so bad for him because he was always having financial problems. And the the reason, it was the same reason. It's like the guy kind of couldn't figure it out. He would always 
estimate something and then price it at, oh, well, it'll take me 10 hours. And then meanwhile, it takes like 25, but he's already (laughs) guaranteed somebody the pricing. And so he ends up just killing himself and not making nearly as much money as he had predicted because his estimation skills were so off. And that always stayed with me. And so literally one of the things that I actually do, now I know people have all, all kinds of different opinions about this in terms of productivity apps and styles and techniques, but I I kick it old school and I actually literally have a to-do list on a sheet of paper. But one of the the disciplines that I have is I will very frequently write estimates of the time that I believe that a particular task will take. And then I, I actually track it and I go back and try to see how accurate I am about you know, okay, writing this article takes this long or, you know, dealing with customer service about XYZ takes this long. And over time, I actually have gotten better because the thing that we often don't do is track and get feedback. I mean, the reason why sports coaching is actually pretty effective is you can see in that moment, like, oh, okay, I shifted my elbow. So am I more likely or less likely to make the free throw? And you see, oh, okay, if I hold it like this, it's way more successful. But for a lot of us in business, we don't have that careful tracking and feedback system. And so this is a thing where it actually is not that hard to do. And the discipline of it helps us get sharper. How many times do you, I know this probably varies depending on what it is, but how many iterations do you find that it takes to get to a place where your ballpark estimate is pretty good most of the time? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I mean, the truth is for most professionals, the tasks that we're doing are not necessarily that novel, right? You might not have necessarily done a presentation for this client, but you've done presentations before. You know, you sort of know how long it takes you to build a deck or or whatever. And so I actually think that because it is rare that there is a completely novel situation, we already have rough estimates. We're not starting from zero. And so I would imagine that with just careful tracking and iteration, probably two two or three go-arounds, and we can actually achieve fairly accurate numbers for most of the things that we're doing on a regular basis. A lot of this is starting to collect some data, right? To get us, not to set aside the emotion and all the psychology that goes into this, but in addition to that, to provide some data that verifies and helps us to set our expectations well and frame what to do to get to the long term. And one of those other data points that that you invite us to do and you invite clients to do, I know, is to really seek out trusted advisors and to find out what they say and to listen to them. For the person who hasn't done that before, what does that look like? Yeah. Well, I think part of it and, and just to sort of back up about why this is so important, when we are in the thick of something, we often, I will state this deliberately, boldly, we often can't trust ourselves. And what I mean by that is that it is very natural as a human tendency to either get too wedded, you know, this is sort of a sunk cost fallacy, right? We get too wedded to the thing that we're doing. No, no, it's going to turn around, Dave. I just have to keep at it a little longer, you know, <laughs> as the as the ship is slowly sinking. We either go in that direction or 
we go in the opposite direction. Oh my God, it's never going to work. This is never going to turn into anything. I should just give up right now. And maybe you're around the corner from something good. It's, it's just very, very hard because as the player in the situation, we get over-involved. And so it is incredibly helpful to have people with perspective, hopefully multiple people, because you know one person could be an outlier. But if you have three, four people that know what they're talking about, and they all are telling you the same thing. No, Dave, keep at it. This is really good. You know, this is this could be something. You know, then you can be more inclined to listen to them because you have told yourself in advance, okay, in this situation, it's like the if then, if I am freaking out about whether or not it's working, what I need to do is listen to my team of advisors. And so how do you form it? Well, ultimately. It doesn't necessarily have to be a formal entity. It's not like, oh, will you be on my board of advisors? Uh, and you know, we meet every third Tuesday. Uh, hmm. it, it could be that, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that. It's really just thinking for yourself, who do I know that has two criteria? Number one, they have to like you and you know, hopefully want the best for you. They have to be a, a friend or an ally in some way. And secondly, who knows about this field? Who knows about this realm? Your mom always wants the best for you, but mom, maybe maybe she does, but most likely she's not an expert in the field that you also happen to be in. And so we want people who are knowledgeable enough about your profession that they are able to make nuanced evaluations. You know, is this actually a new idea? Is this a good idea? Will this work? Is it likely to be well received by the existing players? You know, whatever it is. And so thinking about who those people are and, you know, essentially just making sure that you have the kind of relationship where you're able to periodically call them up or ask them for advice or invite them out for coffee and just cultivating that, making sure that you're nurturing the relationship and giving back as well is really powerful because during those times when we get caught up in our emotional spiral in one direction or another, they are there to, uh, to help us. And, you know, we were talking before this, Dave, you're in a mastermind, which you were saying has been really quite valuable for, for you. Uh, yeah. How has that factored in to your success and your ability to withstand the ups and downs? Oh, it's, it's huge on perspective of getting objective advice, objective. It's not even sometimes advice. It's just objective reactions to someone who's not involved in the emotion behind it, because it's so easy. Like you said, it's it's either like, oh, my gosh, this is like the, I'm two weeks into this and nothing's happened. Or you've been emotionally connected to it for years and kind of everyone else knows like, OK, this isn't a good thing. Just the objectivity of other people who are in a related space, know a little bit about what you do, have expertise of their own that's related, but aren't tied to it emotionally. That's huge. And I appreciate the invitation that you make that this doesn't necessarily have to be a formal thing. Like it could be a formal group, but it could also just be an informal conversation of, you know, someone who is has experience with this in your industry, in your association, in your uh, as a peer and getting some input from them can be really helpful on this. And you use the analogy a moment ago of the of a sinking ship, and that is, of course, the fear we all have, right? Like I'm I'm spending three years trying to get traction in this association in our industry, and I keep running up on roadblocks, and I'm not being successful. 
there are times that truly we should jump ship and throw in the towel, right? Uh, because we are on the wrong thing. What is helpful to, I know we never know for sure, right? But what are some of the indicators that maybe it's time to think it is time to change the strategy or maybe change directions altogether? Yeah, well, I think there's a, a couple of things. I mean, the first one is the question of how how broad the feedback is that you're receiving, right? There are always going to be differences in taste and differences in preferences. And I think what, one thing that we often do that is dangerous is we get our hearts so set on one particular path to success. Oh, well, I'm going to get a job with Apple. And it has to be with Apple. <laughs> and you, okay, I mean that would that sounds wonderful. That would be great. But if for some reason I don't know the relevant hiring manager at Apple went to UNC and you went to Duke and she's like, you know what, Blue Devils, f you, never. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's not that's not your fault. You can't do anything with that. And until that person leaves, you're going to be blocked and you're going to be banging your head against a wall. And so one of the, the themes that I have in the long game is just the importance, hopefully, of being able to be directionally correct, but understanding that we really put ourselves in a perilous position if we think there's only one particular path that's putting too much power in somebody else's hands. If you say, I want a really great tech job in Silicon Valley, there's a lot of things you can do. You could work for a different tech company. You could work for Google. You could work for Facebook. You could, let's say you love Apple because of its design. Well, you could work for you know, IDEO or Frog Design or one of the, the design consultancies. Maybe you could be a journalist covering the tech world. Maybe you could work for a venture capital firm and fund new startups. Maybe you could get a job at an incubator and nurture the next generation. Maybe you could get an adjunct teaching job at Stanford. You know, there's there's a million ways, there's a million variations you could do to be part of that world and that ecosystem. But if you say, no, the only thing that will make me happy is getting a job at Apple, it's just very dangerous because there's a lot of things in life we can't control and it might break your way and it might not. In addition to the book itself, you have an invitation for us to do a bit of an assessment to start to collect a little bit of that data so we get a sense of where we're heading. Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, thank you, Dave. That is that is true. I I know that there's a lot of hunger out there for strategic thinking. I actually, a couple of years ago, created a course for LinkedIn Learning on strategic thinking that it actually, they just announced recently that it has been named one of the one of the most popular courses on the entire LinkedIn platform. Indeed, uh, congratulations! Year. I saw that too. Thank you. Yeah, number number two across the platform of sixteen thousand courses. So you know, one point two million people have taken this course. So I know there is a lot of interest in how do we bring the principles of strategic thinking into our own lives and careers. And so I created a free resource that that kind of complements the book, The Long Game, called The Long Game Strategic Thinking Self-Assessment. And folks can download it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. Perfect. We are going to have that linked up in the episode notes. Of course, it's also going to go in this week's weekly leadership guide. So watch for that in your inbox. Dory Clark is the author of The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. 
Dory, thanks so much for your work. Dave, great to be here. Thank you. If this conversation was helpful for you, several related episodes I'd recommend. One of them's episode 448, The Value of Being Uncomfortable. Neil Pazrika was my guest on that episode. We talked about the unfortunate reality that when we're learning and growing, it is pretty uncomfortable, especially if we're really changing our behavior, which of course is part of our professional development. It's part of doing something better more effectively. Episode 448, a bit of an inspiration for you if, in context of this conversation, you're finding it's time to do something that's a little bit more uncomfortable than what you've done before. I'd also recommend episode 516, How to Find Helpful Advisors with Ethan Cross. Ethan and I talked in that episode about the importance of finding the right advisors, the people that can provide the insight, the objective perspective for us, but also importantly, who to avoid in finding advisors. Dory mentions this in her book as well, the importance of finding those helpful advisors in our careers that can help be mentors, guides, uh, supports, and sponsors to us. Episode 516, if you're thinking of doing that, some great first steps for you. And then finally, one of the things that many of us are working towards in our careers is that next position, whatever it may be. On episode 526, I talked with May Bush on making the case for your next promotion. May uh, had a fantastic career at Morgan Stanley, rising up to one of the chief officer levels in Europe, and talked us through in that episode exactly what worked for her, what doesn't, and now, as she teaches others how to advance their careers, some of the key tactics that you can take that will help you to make the case for your next promotion. Episode 526 for all the details there. All of those episodes you can find on the coachingforleaders.com website. If you haven't set up your free membership, I'm inviting you to do so because you can search the entire library by topic. One of those topic areas is career growth. It's important for all of us to make sure that we have an eye to our own career growth. And in the context of leading others, how can we can continue to develop and enhance our own careers? Many episodes we've had over the years on these and related topics all of them inside the episode library, plus access to all the free audio courses, the member casts, my personal library, and of course, when you set up your free membership, you'll get my weekly leadership guide with details on all of the episode notes, the links, and many of the other resources that I found for you throughout the week that I think will support you in continuing to move forward. All of that at coachingforleaders.com. Set up your free membership and you'll be off and running with everyone else. Next week, I'm glad to welcome Vanessa Bonds to the show. She is going to be teaching us about how to use power responsibly and what the research says that will help us to move forward to do that well. More on that next Monday. Have a great week and see you then.